You've been listening to Governor Little's 2024 State of the State Address. Joining me in studio to discuss the speech is Alex Adams of the Division of Financial Management, Kevin Richard from Idaho Education News, and Dr. Stephanie Witt from Boise State University's School of Public Service. Alex, I want to start with you. One of the things that stood out to me from this speech is this is a different budget year than what we've seen for the past few years because of that influx of COVID funds drying up. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about that. How one of the lines I highlighted, this session should be about priorities. For sure. Well, it is a different budget year than we've seen since the pandemic. Uh, during the pandemic, we saw record uh, growth in uh, revenue, 20% year over year in back-to-back -back years. We never anticipated that that would continue. Uh, so Governor Little and the legislature used a lot of that surplus, which those surpluses started with a B, billion dollar surpluses uh, for one-time capital expenditures, roads, bridges, airport, rail, water infrastructure, things like that. That's opposed to using those funds for ongoing programs and then needing them in the future and not having them. For, for sure. So uh, Governor ensured that our ongoing revenue and ongoing spending balanced. We use the surplus mostly as one-time capital needs to pay off debt, pay off our long-term deferred maintenance needs. This budget, therefore, was different. We didn't come in with a billion-dollar surplus. We didn't come in with ARPA or other federal packages that could be used for capital infrastructure. Uh, so uh, Governor had to put together what those priorities are and what he put forward as a budget that's called Idaho Works because what we are doing is working. And you heard his priorities uh, pretty clear today. Fully funding Idaho Launch, a game-changing investment in our students to go on to in-demand careers a $2 billion school facilities plan, which is $2 billion of tax relief, and uh, some transportation priorities. But we did it all with a conservative budget. As he said, you know, spending growth is 2.2% year over year uh, on the general fund. That is a, our most conservative budget since the Great uh, Recession. And when you look at total funds, which is general funds, dedicated funds, and federal funds, it's $200 million less year over year. And, um, he put together a conservative package, one that sustains over the whole horizon of the budget's uh, revenue forecast, but has some pretty important priorities that I look forward to diving into in greater detail. Facilities, as you mentioned, is one that stands out not only to me, but also uh, got a standing ovation when he said this, when, when he uh, shared this plan with those in the chamber. I'm hard pressed to think of another time I saw lawmakers giving the governor a standing ovation during a state of the state address, Kevin. No, it was pretty startling. I mean, the scope of what the governor's proposing here is pretty startling. I mean, this is a, a big investment over a decade in school facilities, which is a, a, a need that we know exists, but to a large degree, it's a need that legislators have said, that's a local problem, that's a local concern, it needs to be funded uh, through local property taxes. What, what, the, what the, gov the governor's message today was that he feels like that's just not working anymore and something has to be done at the state level to, to help some of the districts that have really struggled to pass bond issues. While it's a local concern, it's also in the state constitution. This came up again in the governor's speech that it, it, the state says that we need to provide a, a uniform public school system for Idaho students, but you know, Dr. Witt, as the governor mentioned, depending on where these students are going to school, they're getting wildly different experiences and wildly different facilities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is, uh, I, this reminds us that it's a policy choice about which level of government will pay for school facilities. And historically, we have made that decision in Idaho that it would be borne by local taxpayers, 100% for that cost. Uh, when you combine 
that level of responsibility to local taxpayers and our bond threshold, which is the highest in the nation, it makes it very hard for some local districts to come up with uh, the money, right, to, to build the buildings or to replace the, the dilapidated buildings. So this is a major shift uh, that I think gets us closer to uh, obeying that uh, demand in the Constitution about the uh, educational system. And it comes at a time that you've seen a lot of school districts really struggling with facilities needs and really struggling to get voter support for facilities needs. Salmon is kind of the poster child right now for districts that have had a hard time getting a bond <coughs> issue passed. They're going back to voters in the months to come. Pocatello last November failed to pass a bond issue to uh, work on some school building needs that were necessitated in part by a fire at uh, one of the high schools. Uh, West Ada in May tried to pass a levy to offset some of its building needs. Biggest district in the state, fast-growing district, uh, could not get that levy passed. I mean, this is a problem for districts in, in urban areas, rural areas, uh, large districts, uh, small districts alike. And, and you mentioned Salmon in the speech. There was a line Governor Little said in one school I visited, raw sewage is seeping into a space under the cafeteria. That, that's pretty notable, Alex. Uh, I was with uh, Governor Little when he visited the Salmon School, and I can attest that that is not hyperbole. Uh, that's one of the issues there. But, you know, I, I think there is an acknowledgement that the learning environment matters for the students. And uh, Governor Little has spent quite a bit of his term visiting uh, school districts across the state. And if you think of what we've done to date, we've generally been focused on the personnel within those. He's got starting teacher pay up. He did a new career ladder. Um, we uh, invested in teacher health insurance. We provided discretionary dollars and operational dollars for things like literacy. This is a pivot to focusing on those facilities. This is one of those last items from his Our Kids Idaho's Future Task Force that he convened back in 2019. And as he said, let's go big. Um, so this is a $2 billion uh, proposal over the next 10 years. It's the most um, uh, significant investment in school facilities in state history. And as Dr. Witt said, there were some deliberate choices that were made here. This is a twofer. It's $2 billion for uh, school facilities as well as $2 billion for property tax relief because you're taking that burden off of the local uh, property taxpayers. What we have used in building out this proposal is the legislature's own uh, performance evaluation report on public schools. Um, they talked about how we're below industry standard in uh, financing maintenance needs. They said we were the last state in the country in school financing of facilities, both per pupil and per square footage of facilities. Uh, so we took a data-driven approach. That's one of the reasons I love working for this uh, governor. He's a spreadsheet and, uh, and data uh, junkie. And we said, if we're going to uh, fulfill not just our constitutional responsibility, but our moral obligation, how do we get there? And that's, that's what this proposal was born out of. But there was also some political calculation here today. I mean, I don't think the governor gets a standing ovation over this if all he is saying to legislators is we've got a building facilities problem around the state. Uh, couching it as a $2 billion property tax uh, relief plan, I, I think probably contributed to some of the support he, he heard on the floor this afternoon. I want to touch on launch as well, something that we've talked about a lot on this program, something you've covered a lot, Kevin. Uh, this plan would fully fund the launch program. Um, Popular so far, not quite twice as many applications so far as was anticipated, but pretty darn close with more than 12,000 applications so far just for this year. Popular with seniors. 
high school seniors, not quite as popular with legislators. I mean, this is still a program that barely passed the legislature last year. So I, I think the governor is still working on trying to get legislators on board with, uh, with the impact that he sees launch potentially having on these uh, seniors who are going to use the program and on employers who are looking for, for workers. Uh, it will be really interesting to see what the legislature does with launch this year. There's a dedicated source of funding to continue to, to pay the $75 million, but there's quite a bit of opposition still within the, the legislature. And high profile opposition too from the Speaker of the House and the Assistant Majority Leader, I believe. Well, I, I was struck on, on Thursday when the governor spoke to uh, the press club's uh, legislative preview, spent a lot of that time talking about launch. Had a couple of launch students come in, talk about why they've applied for the money. Had you know Scott Bedke and Wendy Seacrest talk about uh, what they've done on the road to try to promote this program. Then uh, a few minutes later, you had uh, House Speaker Mike Moyle talk about launch and say, it's a big government handout, and I don't think those work very well. Very, very striking difference there. <laughs> Well, the devil's always in the implementation details, right? And so I wonder if what we'll see is maybe not a wholesale opposition to the program, but, um, you know, it matters what majors got on that list, uh, what things are allowable. And so I wonder if there'll be some tinkering there to, to bring that back in a little more narrow, you know, welding, not business administration, I don't know, something like that. Um, so I, I have the same kind of implementation question about the uh, two billion in property tax relief and and this is I I'm excited about this I think this sounds like a really interesting idea um, how will districts who have chosen to tax themselves have passed bonds feel about the latecomers getting money and how do we get the money to the districts who wouldn't own their own responsibility to pay for their own facilities so this is a difficult needle to thread, you know, to uh, get some equity there. Uh, such a great idea. I'm curious to see how that balances out. But there are so many different realities within each of those taxing districts, too, when we're yes. talking about income levels, when we're talking about property values, when yeah. we're talking about the number of property owners within any given district. Totally different when we're talking about a salmon versus a ketchup. Well, it is, and um, my understanding is that you will be using an index that, that tries to take into account some of the differences in the um, uh, advantages that some districts have. So um, this will require policy legislation, and um, that means we see this as a collaboration with our partners in the legislature, and that will be a conversation that unfolds in the weeks ahead. So I don't want to say that we've presupposed the outcome of what a formula would look like, but the governor in his speech made clear we don't want to punish the school districts who, as Dr. Witt said, have done the right thing and bonded themselves. And we don't want to disproportionately reward those who kick the can, hoping that uh, the state would come in. Uh, so to the extent there is a formula for the distribution of those funds, uh, the governor wanted to, to ring true to those principles. And if, if I could just go back to Lodge, I do think one of the things I would just say is, what, what problem were we trying to solve? And the problem we were trying to solve is getting more and more of Idaho's uh, young folks to, to go on and stay in the state and pursue in-demand careers. And we had seen a go-on rate to post-secondary op uh, uh, opportunities that had been declining. I think it hit 38% during the pandemic. And for years, the state had been chasing a 60% go-on rate. And this was designed to stimulate interest, especially in the areas where there is demand. Nursing, IT, engineering, welding, linemen, farm tech, programs like that. 
And uh, this is a program that is going to continue accepting applications through May and has already exceeded expectations. When we talked about this with the legislature last year, we thought it was going to be a two to three year lead in to get close to the 60% go on rate. And in the bill, we had even designed a pathway where unused dollars would overflow into a program where it could train adult uh, uh, learners and things like that. So to see this response this early, I, I think is emblematic of, of the, the need that was out there. For years, we funded scholarships to four-year institutions. This is now putting the state uh, in a role where it's funding opportunities uh, for apprenticeships, industry credentials, workforce training. So um, I think uh, the, the reaction out there has been very positive, and we look forward to working with the legislature on it this session. And I think that might be where you see the legislature tweak launch this year. How do you what careers wind up on this list of in-demand careers? That has been a bone of contention about this from when launch was a bill to the implementation the, from the summer through the fall to where we are right now. I, I think you may see legislators say, okay, if there's all this demand and we can't fund all of this demand, maybe what we should be doing is figuring out how do we tweak that in-demand careers list to, to really drill down on these areas where uh, specialized training is needed and workers are needed in, in the uh, in the communities. Preemptively narrow that applicant field, perhaps. I, I think that's the area where legislators may look at, and we'll see how that plays out. Alex, I wanted to ask you about transportation. Governor's proposal, and again, as a reminder to viewers, these are proposals from the governor. That doesn't mean that the legislature will sign on. They may say no, or they may tweak these ideas, but right now the governor is proposing $800 million in new transportation spending plus five, or sorry, 50 million ongoing to bond. No new fees or taxes to pay for these transportation and bridge investments. Can you walk viewers through how that works? Yeah, so there's generally an acknowledgement nationally that how we're going to have to finance transportation moving forward is different. Uh, more fuel economy, more electric vehicles means less reliance on gas tax, which has historically uh, funded quite a bit of transportation. So the governor has been using quite a bit of our surplus in recent years to clear out part of our transportation backlog. One of the things he talked about today is funding bridges. We had a $600 million backlog of bridges that were old, structurally poor, preventing farm trucks from getting to market, things like that. And we funded $400 million of that gap to date. He would use $200 million of surplus to get the rest of the way there. The 50 million that you're talking about would come out of sales tax. It would be 50 million ongoing. It's a successful program the state has built. It's called TECM, the Transportation Enhancement and Congestion Management Plan. You bond off of sales tax. So the 50 million ongoing would issue a bond for $800 million. That $800 million would clear out some of the backlog on our roads. Um, our Department of Transportation has an $8 billion list of projects that are in the queue that are currently unfunded. So 800 million would uh, clear out about 10% of that list. So we're getting closer, but uh, have not fully satiated our uh, transportation demands. Uh, it is an area where the legislature has been really uh, willing to invest in recent years. We've had very productive conversations with our partners in the legislature over transportation because this impacts every single one of us as we drive home. If you've ever complained about traffic, if you've ever complained about congestion, if you've ever complained about uh, the, the lack of capacity, this is a package that will help defray some of those demands. In this conversation comes Dr. Witt as we're talking about population growth in our state. This came up right. in the governor's speech. We've all seen it regardless of what community we're living in in the state. So we're not just talking about maintenance, we're also talking about capacity. Yeah, well, you need to do both, right? Uh, new roads, new bridges, and to do the maintenance. And, and it's just not very 
sexy usually to get money for infrastructure, so this is great to see us clearing the backlog of deferred maintenance that had, you know, the annual amounts that we were deferring had become kind of scary big. So this is, this is a good bite of that apple. I want to touch on some of the things that we didn't hear right. in the governor's speech. And, and while he covered a lot of areas, there are also things that he didn't touch on. We didn't hear much about health care, nothing about Medicaid, nothing about maternal health, nothing about infant health. These have all been very hot button issues, both with the legislature and with the public. Uh, the one exception, I think, was youth mental health that we heard and, and also um, is substance abuse. Um, Kevin, what were you listening for that you didn't hear? One thing that I heard that, that the governor said that, that, that kind of slipped it in was he addressed the school choice issue from the standpoint of the supporting school choice as long as it does not uh, draw resources away from our public schools. That sets up for a, a battle with legislators who really want to push for either an education savings account uh, package or a tax credit package. We saw a proposal. Uh, that was unveiled on Friday that would be a $50 million tax credit program. I think this is going to be a big battle in the education space this upcoming legislative session. Dr. Witt, what stood out to you as far as what wasn't in the speech? Medicaid. Uh, it's an enormous part of our budget and, um, you know, it I know that doesn't mean that no one's working on it, just that uh, he didn't mention it this time. He also didn't mention um, Corrections at the adult level, which is often a another by big bite of our budget, right? Uh, for uh, corrections, we didn't hear about abortion, or uh, we had one nod to culture war stuff with um, having banned critical race theory. Uh, one line there; those are things that take up um, a lot of space in some state of the state addresses across the nation, but we didn't hear about it here today. Alex, as we mentioned, this session should be about priorities. Uh, I, I'm getting the sense that Governor Little really wants to focus on these proposals and less on some of the discussions that have been taking up a lot of oxygen in the past couple of years in Idaho. Certainly when you put together a, a, a speech of this nature, it often starts, starts broader than, than where it ends. So there's a, a timing element to it. So I mean, just because something's not in the speech shouldn't uh, mean it's, it's not a priority. Medicaid, for example, we had a redetermination process, so it's a relatively flat budget year over year. We leverage that flat budget to work in some provider rate adjustments where they're needed the most and expand postpartum coverage. So uh, just because something's not in the speech should not imply it's not a priority, but um, in terms of where the governor's gonna put his time and efforts this session, fully funding Idaho launch, $2 billion for school facilities, which is $2 billion in property tax relief, clearing out our backlog of bridges, um, expanding the transportation uh, congestion and expansion plan by $800 million, and doing it all with a conservative budget. As I said, this is the most conservative budget since the Great Recession, 2.2% growth, general fund, 200 million year over year cut, maxes out the rainy day funds, leaves large ending balances and is structurally balanced for five years. So uh, that's what we'll be focusing on. In 10 seconds, can you give us uh, any indication about how discussions with the legislature have been going in the lead up to this? Uh, so governor has met with uh, leadership of both majority and minority. And, uh, you know, as with any session, there's a Venn diagram that uh, overlaps to, to varying degrees. We look forward to, to working with them on all of these this session. All right, we're going to leave it there. Alex Adams, Kevin Richard, Dr. Stephanie Witt, thanks for joining us. Thank you for watching. We'll have much more on Idaho Reports this Friday at 8 p.m. on Idaho.
Public Television. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Programming support is provided by the Idaho Humanities Council, deepening understanding of the shared human experience by connecting people with ideas and local public programs exploring history, law, literature, and citizenship through the humanities.